Well, this is the finale in our series, uh, our 10-part series. Can you believe that? We completed this from the summer. We uh, started using Dennis's, Dennis Rouse's book, uh, 10 Qualities That Move You from a Believer to a Disciple. And I've absolutely enjoyed this series. I know from the feedback that people have enjoyed it. Uh, everything, even standing for the birthdays, everybody's like, we really enjoyed all that we uh, covered. Uh, people enjoyed it so much. People were like, you should write a book. This series was so good. I was like, it's based on a book. All right. So we already got a book and I can't write a book that somebody else already wrote. All right. So, but we, of course, we added new stuff to this and have enjoyed it so much, but we didn't review each week, but I will let you know, these are the 10 things that we've covered with our 10th one being the final one today. But we said, if you're going to move from being a believer to a disciple, you're going to have to step up in these areas. A disciple is passionately committed to Jesus. A disciple is, has extraordinary love for people. You've got to love people. A disciple has the heart of a servant and wants to serve and has that heart that says, I'm here to serve. A disciple is sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit. A disciple is governed by the authority of God's word. You don't just get to say, I'll opt out. I'll take it under advisement. You are governed by the authority of God's word. Uh, a disciple lives morally pure. And I will say this, I got so much feedback on that sermon and it wasn't bad. It was positive. People are like, thank you for preaching about being morally pure in a world that's just kind of forgotten that one and moved it off to the side. And I want to say this, uh, I would never embarrass this family, but uh, there was a couple at our Minneapolis campus, and I'd love to even have them put this on video. Um, they were sitting there in the service and they're living together, okay? And, and I'm talking about if you're living together, you need to, if you're a disciple, you need to live morally pure. You need to move out and, and then get married. And you need to abstain from sex until you're married. And, and the guy looks at his girlfriend right then at the end of service, he goes, looks like I'm moving out. And he went and packed his bags, moved in with his parents until they got married and they just got married the other day. A disciple lives morally pure. And we said a disciple is evangelistically bold. They want to share their faith and they recognize that they want to share their faith. And I believe it's next summer, there's a day and it's called Go 2020. I'll just tell you about it right now. There's a day next summer where they're asking every Christian in the world to share their faith with 10 people. Think about that. We'll give you more details on that. They're saying, would the whole world on one day try to share their faith with 10 people? So a disciple says, I'm up for the challenge. A disciple is evangelistically bold. Um, another one is the uh, disciple engages in biblical community. A uh, disciple is generous. And then today, a disciple lives on purpose. A disciple lives on purpose. We're ending this with looking at our life that isn't very long. Average lifespan is about 78 in America. A little less for men, a little more for women, but it averages out at about 78 years old. Um, when I was younger, 55 seemed ancient, okay? Now 55 is just right over there. And I'm like, man, I'm young. I am so young. I'm so not like the old people when I was young. I mean, we are so much cooler than they were. All right. Oh, man. But our lives are not very long. They're just, the Bible says it's a vapor. That's what it says. Now, compared to the mayfly, which lives one day, our life is very long. But our, the Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor. James 4, 14, it says, yet you do not know your life will be taken like tomorrow, will be like tomorrow. 
You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We are just a vapor, but life is too short. It's too short to not be lived on purpose. We have to live our life on purpose. It's just, it's something that is right in front of us. And you may not realize this, but every single person on earth faces a judgment day. You don't hear a lot of preaching about that anymore either. But every one of us are heading towards a judgment day. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But if you know him as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hear, welcome home. Now, the beautiful message is this. You don't have to work your way into heaven, that God gives it to you by grace. It's through faith. And so every single person that calls upon the name of the Lord can be forgiven of their sins. But there's a judgment day coming. There's another judgment after that. There's a judgment that will judge our works that will judge our works and see if what we did really amounts to anything. First Corinthians chapter three talks about that. Like, is it gonna amount to wood, hay and stubble and just be burned up? Or the things we're gonna do in this life? Are we living on purpose so that we're producing gold and silver and precious stones? It's a tragedy that so many people just drift through life. They just drift through life. It's those that know Christ and those that don't know Christ. They drift through life, never trying to figure out like, what is it really all about? Those outside in the world, they go through parties and experiences. They try substances. They think possessions will make it all matter. They're living, they're just saying like, what's next? I'm bored, is this it? Why am I here? Never understanding like there's more to this life and they just kind of drift through life. And God's saying, you were made for more than this. You were made for more than this. And I want to say this to anybody, again, that it might be visiting or listening online or at one of our campuses. You are not an accident. You were made by God. You were made to make a contribution on this earth, but you were made to know him. And you were made to say, uh, you are my Lord and my Savior, and I want to be in relationship with you. I love what Ephesians 1.11 says in the message translation. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. When you come into Christ, when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you find out who you are and you find out what you're living for. And again, I just wanna say it, at the end of all of our services, whether one of the pastors gives the appeal or not, there's always an opportunity for people to come forward and to come up to a prayer team member and to say, I'd love to give my life to Jesus Christ. But at most of our campuses, you'll see there's an opportunity at the end of the service for you to really find out who you are and what you're living for, why you're here. You are meant to be in Christ. Right after the salvation scriptures that are there in Ephesians, we see this in Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You and I are the masterpiece. It, the word that is used there is the word poema. It means poem. It means like a work of art. You and I are works of art. And God's like, I've made you on purpose. And now that you're in relationship with me, I've got good things for you to do. Our good deeds don't get us saved. But once we're saved, he's like, I've got you. You're on purpose. There's good things for you to do. And each one of us is uniquely shaped and gifted. And we're there so that we can do good works. And God's like, I've got you on mission. You can live on purpose. Don't just drift through life. Don't just be a consumer. 
A believer may come to church and just consume and consume and consume, but a disciple says, I, I was created for something. I live on purpose. There's meaning to my life. I'm supposed to do something with this life. Again, in Ephesians, there's more on purpose. In chapter five, verses 15 through 17, it says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. We're not living thoughtlessly. We, there's, there's something that he wants us to do, and we should be wrestling with that pressure. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm a disciple. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. A disciple sits there and, and wrestles with this, knowing that there's going to be a judgment, knowing that they're going to face the well done, and they want to hear, well done, you did what I created you to do. I love what Pastor Rick Warren says, and just by show of hands, here at all of our campuses, how many have read the book, Purpose Driven Life? Go ahead, raise your hand, raise your hand. All right, okay, about half, all right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you another book recommendation, all right? I'm gonna, Purpose Driven Life, I think they have a picture of it. That is a great book, and he talks about living and being on purpose, and he says living on purpose is the only way to really live. Everything else is just existing. And he says this in the book, just to give you a summary. He said, you were made for God's pleasure. You were made to be in God's family. You were made to be like Jesus. You were made to serve God and you were made to be on mission. We live with purpose. We live with purpose. There's something. And I, I wake up every day and I'm thinking, what can I do for you, Lord? What, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, what will add great value to the things that you've created me to do? Lord, I want to live on purpose for you. I don't want to waste the day. Sometimes I'll, I'll say to Becca, like, we shouldn't waste a meal today. Who, who can we go out to eat with and encourage? And, and she's like, chill out there, purpose-driven guy, all right. And she's like, we're on mission. We're doing the right thing. We're just going to have a romantic dinner. I'm like, all right, I'm in, all right, yeah. But we, I don't want to waste a day, neither does Becca. We're like, we're on mission together. We get this. Our family is created for a purpose. We, we understand this, and we've wrestled with this. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple and you're wrestling with this, there's a few questions I want to give you and a little bit of advice on some uh, steps we need to take. The first thing you should be thinking about right now is, what is God's calling on your life? What is God's calling on your life? We are all in on this. Every single one of us is like, no, I'm not called. I'm not called to be a pastor. No, every single one of us is called. We're called to do something. He's created us with a purpose. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this, and, and let me just set the tone for just a moment. In the Old Testament, I, I get it. The priests would do all the work at the temple. The priests were doing all the work and the people would just bring their gift and the priest would do all the work. In the New Testament, God's like, you are the gift, all right? And the pastors are gonna equip you so you can use your gift for God's glory. So it's not like bring all the things to church and make the pastor do it, you know? It's like bring yourself to church and get equipped so you go do the work. Okay, but here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He gives the people, he says, all of us, we're all called to do these things. We're all called to do the work before the Lord. Every single one of us. It's, we're not just bringing it to the church and say, here, do it. We're saying, 
we are the church. We're leaving here and we're doing something for your glory. And every one of us has a unique calling. I was golfing this last week and the guy I was golfing, one of the guys I was golfing with was a pastor and the other guy owned a bank. And praise God, the guy that owned the bank paid for everything, all right? And, and we were there and we were, we were talking and he, was, and he was saying, hey, I feel called to be a banker. And I said, I affirm that. I affirm that. He's like, I know that I'm in the marketplace and I'm making this money and I'm fueling these things and I have a Bible study and our company is doing these godly values and we're giving profits into the kingdom of God. And he asked me like, how can I give to faith things? And I said, man, anywhere that hope is being delivered. And he's like, that's a great way to say it. I'm gonna use that with our bank. And, and, he, and, he, and he just said, I, I feel called to do this. This is what I was created for. There's joy in this. And he said, I know I have a unique calling in this. I thought, praise God, he has a unique calling because if you don't know this about me, I am not good with math and numbers. That's just not my thing. I mean, 30 years after an event, I can remember what Becca was wearing, where we sat in the restaurant, what we had for dinner, you know, what the weather was like outside, and she'll remember the total of the bill. You know what I mean? It's like total different. I'm like, do you remember you were wearing that? No. I'm like, yes, you were. And she's like, no. I'm like, yes. How much was it? She's like, 43.87. You know, like, I, it's like, okay. So I was like, you are uniquely created for that, to, to run this bank and to use your gifts. There's no one else like you. You're using it for God's glory. You are not an accident. You have a contribution to make, every single one of us. And if we don't use our gifts, there's a hole in the ministry. There's a hole in the ministry. A lot of people don't know what their gifts are. And you've got to say, what is, my, what is the calling on my life? God, what is it? How have you uniquely wired me and made me? Side note, do you know that sometimes the people around you and next to you can see your gifts even when you don't? Sometimes you see your gifts and you don't even like them. Like, ah, oh, I'm called to run the bank. Man, I wanted to work in the nursery. You know, no, you didn't say it. Nobody says that. You need to go there though. They do say that. Some people are created that way. All right. But you, here's the thing. Ask people around you, what do you see in me? What do you see in me? Sometimes let them speak into your life. Cool thing. Uh, one of our interns, Devin, she's in RVLI right now. She was just coaching, coaching some kids. And her campus pastor said, hey, have you ever thought about working in kids ministry? Like, you're really good at this. I think you, you might have a calling on your life in that area to just help with kids. I mean, you're so good with, I mean, you're coaching them here and, and She's like, I'm going to do that. She joined RVLI. She's working with kids. And she said, you know what? He called out something in me. He saw something in me that I didn't even, I was like, oh, I could actually use that for God's glory. I could, I could do that. Uh, some, if you know what yours is and you would say I'm a mature believer, start calling out things to people. Hey, I see this in you. I see this. Have you ever thought about this? Because sometimes they're wrestling like, ah, I'm wrestling with that. And when you say that, I see this in you. I want to affirm that. Man, the other day, I, I forget who it was. Uh, somebody drove us to the airport, one of the interns. And, and Beck and I got out of the car and I just looked at her. I said, you have a leadership gift on you. You have a leadership gift. I don't know what God's going to do in your life. You have a leadership gift. And Becca said, I affirm that. And you could see her like, she's red, like, hey, where's that going to take me? How is God called me. So find your unique calling and, and wrestle with what is God's calling in your life? Now, another thing that you should ask is, what is my burden? What is my burden? 
And I'm going to use some resources from a thing called Shape by Eric Reese. Um, what drives you? What's the yearning? What's the passion? What just gets you going? Can I use, when I started River Valley Church, this is how it happened. This is exactly, I, I, I kept saying to people, I wish there was a church where young people felt comfortable going to. I was at a church, it was a little traditional, and I was the youth pastor. Beck and I were leading the youth ministry, and there, there were no young people to work in the youth ministry. The church was very old or very young, and that 20-somethings and 30s were gone. They just weren't around. And anytime a 20-year-old would come into the church, you kind of see them like, oh boy, everybody here is very old. And then Beck and I would run up and grab them. Stay, stay, you need to work at the youth. I mean, all right. And so I kept saying, man, somebody should start a church that would, would appeal to young people. Somebody should start a church that would appeal to those in their 20s. And finally, somebody just said, why don't you do it? And I said, not me. And they said, why don't you do it? It seems like you keep talking about it over and over. It's like a burden on you. Why don't you pray about that? Why don't you see if God's given you that thing to talk about because you're supposed to pray about it and see if that's what you're supposed to do. And so we started praying about it. Next thing you know, I'm like, I think it's me. I've never done this before. I have no idea what's going on, but God placed the burden on me and then all of a sudden I'm stepping into it from that burden. Four good questions that you could ask about this and I think they have them for you. What do my dreams and desires drift toward? What do my dreams and desires drift toward? That's something you say, I think there might be something there that God's putting something in me, a burden. What do I really want to do for God? You start saying, what do I really want to do for God? And you ask that question, you're like, what do I really want to do? And as you start answering that question, it starts guiding you. You think about another one, what motivates me to take action? Like you want to jump in, you want to help, you want to get involved. There's something within you that says, I've got to take action. I can't just say something about this. I've got to get in on this. And then what do I crave? What do I crave? Like if I, what am I hungry for? What do I want to see? Those are some good questions that you could ask about what's your burden. I mean, what do you care about? What age group? What affinity group? What location? What cause? I, I've got a list of causes and I, I just want to give you some thoughts here. And it's not, you know, exhaustive, but it's a few. But maybe these things just when you hear them, you're like, yes, God's doing something in you because there's a burden. You want to work with people of abuse or alcoholism or at-risk children. Maybe something with compulsive behaviors, with gambling or such. It just, you're like, ah. And sometimes I've noticed that things that have hit your life or have hit others around you, all of a sudden you're like, there's something within you that says, I want to help fix that. And your pain can become something that motivates you to be used by God. Maybe you want to work with people with disabilities or divorce care. And side note on this, can I just say, most of these things can be life groups. Most of these things can be life groups. A lot of people come in, they're like, I want to start this, and I want, to, and I want, to, I want a room, and I want a budget, and I want an assistant, and a car, and a, you know, all right. Start a life group. Start a life group, and then start a couple life groups, and then grow it from there, all right? So maybe it's diseases, HIV, cancer, Alzheimer's, and these things just get, and you're like, I'm going to help with this. Maybe it's uh, drug abuse and recovery, elder care. And maybe it's ethics. And you're like, I'm going to do something with that. It just fires you up. Maybe it's financial stewardship. And you're like, financial peace, I want to help. Maybe it's health and fitness. You're like, uh, I want to help people live an abundant life. Maybe it's homelessness or marriage and family issues, poverty, hunger, parenting, purity, sanctity of life, work-life balance. I've just 
given a few things and if it didn't hit you there, start praying, God, where is that burden? What is it that keeps me up at night that, I, that I'm here with? Where's that holy discontent where I'm saying somebody should do something about it? No, I should do something about this. I should look for other people in the church that are doing something. And if they're not, I'll get it going. I'll start a life group. I'll get, I, I want to do something with this. I want to make a difference because there's a burden. Another thing you've got to ask yourself in this is what's the cost? What's the cost? Because anything that you're going to do stepping out for God is going to cost you. But I'm telling you right now, it's worth it. It's worth it. But it may cost you relationships. It may cost you relationships. God has called me to do this, and I feel this burden to do this, and I'm going to go do this. And other people, well, I, I, don't, I don't feel it. I don't want to do that. It may cost you possessions. It may cost you something. And I believe that God owns it all anyways. So if he's going to put a burden on my life and ask me to give towards it, I'm in. It will cost you some comfort. Following God and following call will cost you comfort. I wish I could say, and it's so, it'll never be tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be tough. It's going to be worth it. Using my own life again, when we stepped out in faith, Becca and I, uh, we moved here and, and I said, we don't have a church. We're going to start this church. And, and I told her, I said, I really need your help on this. I, there's no money. There's no people. Um, I need you to work for one year to help start the church. And after one year, we'll probably be like a thousand and you won't need to work anymore. And a year went by, we were a hundred. She was still working. 10 years it took us to get to a thousand. And she, it was a cost. It was a, a price that was paid. There were 12 times in the startup of the church that we held our paycheck. There wasn't enough money to make payroll. And, and so I, I couldn't get paid that week. And we had just enough in savings that we transferred the savings over into checking so that I could have a week to pray and fast. Praying God, I hope that this will come through. 12 different times we had that. There's a cost. There's a, there's a sacrifice that's made, but it's worth it. Here's another thing. Whenever you say yes to God and, and you understand like, I think I'm called to do this and you have a burden for it. And then he says, step out and you count the cost. How many know that God just has a way of moving you outside your comfort zone? And you're like, not that, anything but that. I'm an assistant. I'm not the leader. You know, I was going to just open up my home for a life group, not lead the life group. You know, I'll tell you this. God has a way of moving people out of their comfort zone. Abraham, like move literally move. Moses, you're going to speak, not me. I stammer. No, you're going to go. You're going to be up there. Disciples, you know, you're not going to be fishermen. You're going to be fishers of men, all right, outside your comfort zone. And I want you to know this. God calls us to the difficult, not to be mean, not to mean, but he shows us his power, his peace, his joy. In the midst of this, he shows us that he's sufficient. He forms us into his image. And it's an incredible journey to be on when he says, step outside your comfort zone. Step outside this and see what I can do when you're obedient. Man, when you know this and you realize this, you realize this, you count the cost, you say, I'm in. And then you know what you do? You start saying, okay, now that I know where my calling is. Now I have this burden. Now I've, I've counted the cost I'm in. You know what you need to do? Start sharpening your skills and investing in that area. Start sharpening your skills, like really intentionally sharpen your skills and, and, and 
and limit things like, nope, that's not what I was created for. Yep, that is what I was created for. Um, I want to grow in this area. Let me just, let me use again my own life. It's a, an example for you here. After we started the church and we grew the church and we went through the difficulties, I got to a spot where I said, I, I really want to know exactly how God has wired me and what I'm for. And some of you know this, I've read my purpose statement, but I'll tell you how it works for me. This is my purpose statement. It says, as an adventurer with the Lord, I exist to walk by faith in tune with his heartbeat. Devoted to my family, I am a catalytic heart leader who enlightens, inspires, provides, and equips a local pastor teacher with a global reach, especially in missions and leadership development. It took me two days to get that. Two days of work, like focusing in, like I need to figure out exactly how God has gifted me. And I want to make sure that I'm going to live on purpose. I want to be a disciple and I want to use what he's created me for exactly how he's created me. And when I got that finished and I read it and I, it was on the wall and I was like, it was, I just, I started to cry. I started to cry because I was like, that's me. That's me. And I just felt like that's what I was created for. And you know what I've been able to do with that? I've been able to filter and fuel with this. I filter out opportunities that are really good, but they're not what I was created. I'm like, that's not what I, that's not my gifting. I would, I would love to do that, but this is, I'm, and I filter out things and then I fuel it. How do I fuel it? I get around other leaders. I read things on leadership. I get around other missionaries. I go to things with missions and I go to things on leadership and I'm just feeding things and I'm gathering and growing. And I'm like, I'm always remaining teachable. And I'm like, here, what else do you have for me? And I'm, I'm devouring these things and I'm getting around people that are like-minded like this. And I'm intentionally sharpening my skills and my focus. And I'm saying, I'm on mission because I, I'm a disciple. I'm not just a consumer. I want to do this for the glory of God. I want my life to have more than wood, hay, and stubble. And I'm saying, God, I want to do it for your glory and for your honor. We are not a crowd of believers. We are a church of disciples. That's who we are. We are not a crowd of believers. We are a church of disciples. And we're going to live on purpose. We are going to know our calling. We're going to feel the burden. We're going to count the cost. And we're going to invest our time. We're going to invest who we are and say, God, we're living on mission for you. And we're doing this all for your glory and for your honor. I'm just praying our church will be, each one of us will be the masterpiece that God has created us to be. I pray that you'll be the masterpiece. You'll be the, the work of art. You'll say, I know why I was created and what I was for. And I would just speak this word over the church too. There's some just everyday greatness that goes on. There are masterpieces that are watching the kids right now in kids' church. There are masterpieces that just open up their home and you have a gift of hospitality. And it's what you were created for. And other people would be going crazy when the kids are running the house, but you have that gift and the kids are running the house. You know, it's just, there's a gifting on you and your home is a, a gift to the body. There are people that are teachers and there are people that are intercessors and there are people that are singers and there's people that are just running banks and there's people that are using their gifts and talents. Be the masterpiece and it's every day, just uh, everyday greatness. It's just every day and it looks so simple, and, but it's, it's how, what you were created for. And it's, it's God saying, you're my masterpiece there. You're exactly how I wanted you to be. Use that gift for his glory. 
be the masterpiece that God has created you to be. I just speak that over our church. Be the masterpiece that he's created you to be. Live in that area. Don't feel guilty that I'm not that part. I'm not. You are exactly made the way God wanted you to be with the gifts that you have for his glory and for his honor. Now, as we close out this series, we had 10 different things. And I just, I don't, can't even remember all 10. I couldn't say them just right off the top of my head. But symbolically, they were saying, I'm a disciple. I'm in, I'm in for the 10. Could you put your hands out in front of you? 10 fingers, 10 things the disciple does. If you could think of them, maybe there's one that really stands out to you. God, we're just praying right now. There are the things that a disciple does change this world. We thank you, God, that we became a believer first. We said yes to you, but then we said, we're going to be a disciple. We're going to do these things. We're going to live on purpose. We're going to be generous. We're going to serve. We're going to be in community. Lord, there's so many different things. There's 10 things that we just looked at in this series. But God, I pray that each one of them would become real to us. They become part of our life and we'd live them out. And we live them out for your glory and for your honor. I just pray each person here would realize they are a masterpiece created to do good works for your glory and for your honor. Help us, Lord, to be disciples, to change this world for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.